Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope that you're safe and healthy wherever you are, and that this podcast can serve as a respite from dealing with all things related to the coronavirus. Today's show has an MLB draft theme as we talk to one player expected to be taken this week, Coastal Carolina's Parker Chavers. We'll also be joined by two of our draft experts, Brandon Tu and Corey Ledden, to look at some of college baseball's top prospects. Parker Chavers was a preseason All-American selection by Baseball America out of Coastal Carolina, a two-time All-Sunbelt selection. He's coming off an injury. He had surgery on his throwing shoulder. And depending on what you read, he's in the top 50 to 100 prospects in the country in this year's shortened five-round draft. When I asked one of our video scouts whose uh, game he liked, whose defense he liked, he said that uh, Parker Chavers was a good guy to talk to. Uh, We'll talk to him about a number of things, including his very strong throwing arm. Uh, so, it's a chance to get inside the mind of a Division One standout. Parker, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, where are you talking to us from? I'm actually back home right now in Montgomery, Alabama. How are you getting through the pandemic and everything that, that's been uh, going on? Yeah, you know, just, just trying to stay busy. Obviously, it's, you know, a crazy time for everyone. You know, just been at home around my family a lot, which is, is good. I normally don't get to be around them as much, you know, with baseball season and everything. So, that's been good. Uh, you know, just working out, hitting, throwing, you know, doing – all my baseball stuff, you know, just trying to stay busy and, and keep my mind off things. Uh, well, I would imagine there's a lot to think about with, with the draft coming. What's the most interesting thing or fun thing or just, I saw, I saw, I saw a video of you working out on the beach uh, recently. What's the most interesting or fun thing you've done during the pandemic? Played, played some golf with my dad. That's kind of been something a little different than I've been able to do. Um, like you said, went, went to the beach for a few days and, and threw and did some stuff down there while we were on vacation. So, been good you know not not a whole lot to do really you know everything's pretty limited still but you know just trying to stay stay busy and how are you feeling with the draft coming up feeling good yeah excited you know it's been a long time coming and try try not to think too much about it but it's, it's kind of hard with no baseball to be played so you know another week or so until it's here and you know ready for it what have you been uh doing as far as throwing goes how's your arm strength tell us about the the injury that you've had you're the first uh, player that i think that we've talked to uh, while they were recovering from an injury. So I think there's some interesting things to glean from that. Yeah, um, had shoulder surgery um, in December, right before the season started. Um, so been recovering from that. Had It was a labrum surgery in December. Um, you know, so just been doing my throwing program. You know, me and my dad, I've been doing that every other day, um, you know, for a few months now. And uh, feeling good, you know, had um, arm strengths coming back and, you know, I haven't had any any setbacks really went. Um, I actually went to the doctor yesterday and got fully released and everything, so trending in the right direction. What What is the throwing program for a torn labrum? What What, what goes into that? Yeah, so it's basically split up by um, distance. You start at 45 feet, and um, you know you'll do. I believe it's two sets of 25 throws with five minute, five to 10 minute break in between each. Um, you'll do that step every other day, and you'll do it, you know, two or three times, and then you'll move. Um, same distance, and then you'll move to three sets of those same 25 throws, um, and then you do that two or three times. And once you kind of master that step, then you move back in distance. Um, so you start at 45 and end up at, at 180 feet, um, kind of going through those. When when did when was the first time that you realized that you had a good throwing arm? Whether it was little league or or where where did you figure that out? Yeah, probably in little league. I, I you know I was. Growing up, I was always the smallest kid, but, you know, I always had a good arm and used to pitch a lot and, and do that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of always something I've had, but, you know, probably 
my sophomore year going into this past summer, it kind of really, really stood out to me that, um, you know, I had, a, had a really good arm and, you know, was able to actually put it to use some this summer and, and throw some guys out and stuff. And, you know, so that, that's always cool. What is the key to arm development? You know, I mean, I think a multitude of things, you know, obviously some of it's God given ability. And then, you know, a lot, a lot of um, arm care, you know, a lot of, you know, training room work and, and bands and strengthening and, you know, we, we do a great job of that at, at Coastal, you know, where I go to school. It's it's a big emphasis of ours. And, um, you know, we have amazing strength and conditioning and, and training staff. And, you know, especially a guy like me who's had arm problems in the past, it's something that's always, you know, kind of in the forefront of my mind and something I do every day just to kind of, you know, get it, get in front of it and, and try to prevent it from happening. And a lot, of, a lot that goes into it. Give us a, a little bit of an account. As I said, someone was telling us about uh, seeing you on the Cape and I think seeing you throw on the Cape. Can you think back to a play and just walk us through from getting to the ball to throwing it uh, to making the play, all of the different components that go into that, whether it's making a split-second read, whatever it is that goes into that, um, what goes into making uh, a throw to nail, to nail someone like you do? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's quite a few things. I think for me – you know, everything starts before the play. Um, you you kind of have to know your game situation. You have to know, you know, how many outs there are, who's on base, their speed. You know, game situation is the most important thing. You know, you don't want to – I mean, you know, a throw from the outfield is not exactly a high percentage play to get somebody out, you know, so you don't want to take that risk if it's not in the right situation and, and not get the guy out and give up a free base. And You know, things like that are all very important. So I think it, it definitely starts before the play, kind of having an idea of, of what the situation is. Um you know, and then, and then once it's hit, you know, you kind of have to, to peek at the runner, see where he is as you're catching it, and, and kind of be able to gauge your own arm strength and, you know, see do I really have a shot here. And, and if I do, um, just trying to get rid of it quick and accurately. And, you know, after, after it leaves your hand, that's all you can do. Is there a play on YouTube or a play on Twitter that we should uh, check out where, where you showed off a little bit? Uh, there's one from the championship game um, in Katua this past summer in the Cape. Um, I think it was bottom eight. There's a guy on second, you know, we were up seven runs and I was playing left actually Uh hard, hard line drive one hopper and came up and, you know, made a really good throw and our, our catcher um, actually, you know, deked the runner a little bit, acted like the ball wasn't coming, caught it and tagged him. He didn't even slide. So that was pretty cool. You know, there's 4,000 people there. Fans, fans went wild and, you know, that was a good one. Um, so we deal a lot with defense here and I like talking with you about your arm, uh, but give us a scouting report on, on yourself the whole package uh, in terms of defensively? I think for me, you know, center field is, is my position, my spot. It's kind of, you know, what I've grown accustomed to the last few years. I actually was a shortstop growing up. Moving to center wasn't too big of a transition for me. Some of the angles are the same. It's, you know, it's still the middle of the field. Um, you know, but I actually got a, a chance to play the corners, you know, for the majority of the summer. Um, and that's something I hadn't done before, you know, so it was a little different. Um, so, you know, I think I can play all three outfield spots. I think my arm, you know, plays in right as well. Um, you know, but center would be where I'm, where I'm most comfortable. And, you know, I like to just, just react and see the ball and go get it and use my speed and, and kind of be the, the leader of the outfield. How much information are you guys exposed to? Especially at, we were talking to the coach at Wake Forest, Tom Walter, and he was telling us about the, they have like a six-man analytics group. How much information are you guys exposed to uh, in terms of the things that you hear about now being made available at the pros uh, with regards to either your offensive or your defensive game? Yeah, I think that kind of all depends on where you go to school and kind of 
you know, obviously everyone's resources are different and, and what they emphasize and stuff like that. Um, you know, at Coastal, we're very fortunate. We have, you know, a very good um, video system and, you know, we get all the different, you know, pretty much anything we want, we have. Um, we have analytics guys who, who put videos together for us, you know, whether it's um, offensive or defensive scouting reports, you know, we have splits, we have, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, our coaches kind of handle our shifts and things like that. Um, you know, but as an outfielder, you, you kind of get a feel for it in the game and, and kind of adjust yourself and, and be in center. That's that's one thing that I, I take a lot of pride in is kind of trying to have my guys in the right spot. And as I progress, being able to just read swings and have a feel of, of tendencies and, and kind of try to anticipate things before they happen. We've had Kevin Pilar and Kevin Kiermeyer on, and they've both talked about reading swings. I'd like to get it from your perspective. I like hearing the different uh, perspectives. What goes into that? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's – you know, you kind of have an idea of hitters before the game. Um, and then I think, you know, you kind of got to know who's on the mound for you, um, kind of how they like to pitch, where where their misses are more than likely. You know, and, and kind of that first at bat is pretty a pretty good um, tell of, of how they're going to, you know, stack up against that arm and, and kind of, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, for me, I, I try to look at size. I try to look at location and, and kind of um, – not cheat because you, if you you know you start cheating you get in trouble but kind of have that in the back of your mind that if you know the pitch is, is located and you know if this guy hits it like he's supposed to it it, it could end up here um, so it's just kind of one of those things you have to you have to see in game and, and kind of get a feel for it. Parker Shavers, uh, I feel like we're remiss in not talking about your offensive game. Uh, T1Baseball.com did a thing analytically that ranked you number 20 among hitters coming into the season. Perfect game, had you as one of the top five college outfielders. The other four were all guys at at pretty big schools, power conferences. Um, Give us a a scouting report on your offensive game and and what you're looking to uh, develop there. Yeah, I think from the offensive side, the last few years, my power's definitely kind of kind of shown its head and, and progressed a lot growing up that that wasn't really a part of my game I was kind of just a pure hitter and you know I think our coaches and, and you know the things we teach at, at Coastal have only helped me kind of refine my my swing and, and tighten things up and you know for me going forward it's just trying to be more consistent you know being a, a pure hitter overall and um, you know I kind of know the natural loft of my swing the way I swing you know the power will come you know so for me it's just being more consistent you know kind of cutting down some swing and miss and, and putting some balls in play. And um, yeah, just being more consistent overall, you, you know, you can always do that every year. So are there any guys that you model your game after major leaguers that are, that are particular favorites years? I mean, for me growing up, it was, it was Chipper Jones. That was my, my guy growing up. He was always my favorite. Um, but now, you know, I, I watch everyone for the most part. Um, I like Ben Intendi a lot. I like Adam Eaton. You know, I kind of feel like I'm somewhat of a blend of those two minus the throwing left-handed part, but you know, I, I like Benintendi swing a lot, especially, you know, if you go watch his, his um, draft draft year, his uh, highlights from Arkansas there. You know, I love his swing and, and eating the way, just the way he plays the game. He's you know, a very intelligent, scrappy, scrappy guy and, and plays hard. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a winner. So Parker Chavers, uh, I wanted to just ask you about uh, your OBP, 435. That's, that's pretty good. Um, how, how are you in terms of uh, where you are with uh, patience and discipline and, and kind of adjusting to, to pitchers? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I actually had the exact same OBP from freshman to sophomore year. You know, that's not completely telling. I think, you know, sophomore year, I definitely was pitched a lot differently than, than freshman year as, you know, when you're a freshman, not really many people know who you are. You know, so it's kind of one of those things you, you kind of have to feel out as the season goes along, um, how you're being pitched, 
you know, if, if you're hot, you know, you, you got to kind of have in the back of your mind that pitchers, you know, might not be as aggressive coming after you in, in certain situations. Um, so it, it does, you know, play a part in your bats kind of having, um, you know, like you said, all the scouting reports and analytics splits, um, you know, definitely help you when you get in certain counts and, and know what to look for and be patient. But I mean, for me, it's always just trying to hit the ball hard and, and hit strikes and, um, you know, if I can do that, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Have you worked with the things like Rapsodo or Hit Tracks or, or those other things? To have they made an, an impact on what you do? Yeah, a little. Um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said I did it a ton. You know, I look at TrackMan, I, I look at the numbers, and you know, kind of see what they say. Um, and I know, you know, at this launch angle, at this exit field, obviously, I'm going to be successful. But it's never something that that I necessarily think about. Um, you know, it's nice to look at and see. But in the box, I mean, you're not thinking about hitting it. Just kind of, the, like I said, the way my swing is, you know, if I hit the ball hard, I, I know that stuff will come. You know, so for me, you know, if I can put two balls in play hard a game, you know, that, that puts me in a pretty good chance to succeed. All right, last question. Um, what coaches have allowed you to become the player that you've become, and how did they impact you? And what went into your being from where you were high school-wise um, to now where you're, you're one of the top 50, top 100 players in the, in the country for the uh, MLB draft? You know, going back to growing up, at half, you know, have to start with my dad. Obviously, he coached me all the way up until high school and, you know, in all my sports and, and kind of, um, you know, it was hard on me, expected a lot out of me, but, but never pushed me to do anything I didn't want to do. You know, he always knew I was a good player and, um, you know, wanted me to, to play hard. And, you know, that was his main thing. As long as I gave it my all, he, he was good with that. And then from high school to now, I think all of the coaches at Coastal, I mean, you know, our our head coach, Coach Gilmore, and, you know, our two assistants, um, you know, Coach Schnall and Coach Schilling that handle a lot of our hitting. Um, you know, I owe them a, a tremendous amount of credit, just all the time they put in with me, all the, you know, little adjustments and tweaks we made to the swing and, you know, things that kind of we discovered that would make me more successful, um, kind of continuing to do those things. And then I think the biggest thing for me from high school to now would just be the, the physicality that, you know, I put on 35 pounds since I got to Coastal and, you know, just kind of completely transformed my game. So, you know, I, I owe a lot of that to um, our training and, and strength and conditioning staff. And so, yeah, I would say that that's probably the biggest thing that kind of revolutionized all parts of my game and always uh, improved all those areas. What was the best defensive lesson you learned? I don't know. I think, you know, Coach Gilmore, our head coach, handles our outfield and, for me, it was kind of learning to take charge of the whole outfield. Um, you know, being in center, you have to remember that you're not just out there by yourself. You know, you might be out there with a guy who's not as strong in the outfield in a corner that's there for his bat or, you know, whatever the case may be. So you got to kind of be able to handle what you need to handle um, and then at the same time be able to kind of analyze the game and, and help those guys position and, and um, you know, let them know what they need to be doing in, in certain um, situations. So I think that was big. Um, kind of being able to manage the whole outfield. Parker Chavers, a preseason All-American, uh, two-time All-Sun Belt, and uh, we look forward to seeing where you wind up in this year's MLB draft. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, sir. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and we are with our two of our video scouts, Corey uh, Ledden and Brandon Chu, and we're glad that they're able to join us today. The video scout associates at uh, Sports Info Solutions are the people that do a lot of the 
dirty work for us. They watch the games. They chart the games. They detail things very intently. And we have a lot of big college baseball fans among our video scout associate group. Uh, so we wanted to talk to our experts uh, in-house on that. So Corey and Brandon, thanks for joining us. Let's start by talking about Parker Shavers, since uh, we just heard from him. Brandon, uh, what's your take on him? Uh, I actually watched him in the Coastal Plain League and some of that league. I worked for a team in the Coastal Plain League, so I saw him a little bit more intimately than, than other guys would. I mean, he has tools to be a major league outfielder, a major league center fielder, and the defense kind of pops off the chart, but but his, uh, I guess his baseball acumen and just the way he carries himself on the field, like you can almost tell watching him play, he he could be a major league guy, a bit, uh, everyday major league guy if, if the potential hits there. But he could definitely be like a fourth outfitter on a team. Corey, your thoughts? I actually saw Parker play in the Cape Cod League last summer. I went up there for just a couple games, and I saw him play on center field for uh, Katuit. He had great range, really good athlete. As you saw in his Cape Cod numbers, he was able to impact the game with um, his speed, both on the base pass and in the outfield. Um, his power tool is developing, and I think the hit tool is going to be the one that either uh, carries him to a, a long career or makes him just like Brandon said, a fourth outfielder. is going to be a really deciding factor of what he can become in the game. I like that he described himself as a combination of Adam Eaton and Andrew Benintendi. I felt that was kind of good that he didn't necessarily rate himself as like a superstar type. But he kind of he found it, he found like kind of a, a good fit for himself. For him, I think he's a grinder. He kind of does everything right on the baseball field. So Ben Nittany, Adam Eaton kind of fit that mold of of a grinder, a type of guy who who gets a lot of things done on the bases and gets a lot of things done on the field. All right, and Corey, your thoughts on uh, Patrick Bailey from NC State? I think Patrick Bailey is one of the most, if not the most, professional catcher in this game, uh, in this draft. He's a switch hitting catcher, which is always great to see. A guy that um, I saw in a high school article that he used to call his own games. He's kind of got, really has a good feel behind the plate, knows what um, his pitcher's working with, knows what the batter's weaknesses, and then at the plate, I think he's an average uh, batter that can really just, with his defense, combine with his offense, be a major league starter for many years, and guy that can uh, really stand behind the plate. And Brandon, your thoughts? Yeah, um, he's a guy like Casey Oppitz calls his own games. The mental game is there. Both of those guys, very high baseball IQ when it comes to calling a game as a catcher, framing pitches, setting guys up in the batter's box, setting guys up with pitches. So that part of the game defensively is there. His arm is above average, average arm in the major leagues. It will be an above average to average arm. And then, like Corey said, the hit pull and being a switch hitter is what's going to make him stand out from other guys in terms of catching because to find a switch hitter at the catcher position who can hit like he can, that's special. And I think he goes pretty early in this year's draft because of that. Corey and Brandon both wrote articles for uh, the Sports Info Solutions blog at sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. Looking at the top seven college players, they went top five and then had two honorable mentions. Uh, And I wanted to get through those guys uh, in the order, uh, in chronological order rather than reverse, as we did it for the blog. Uh, So first, let's start with the guy who seems to be the consensus number one among collegiate players, Spencer Torkelson. Brandon, uh, your your take on, uh, on him at this point. Uh, watching a lot of Torkelson games last year, he just jumped off the screen in terms of his uh, the way he hit the baseball, the way he did everything on the field. He's very comfortable in the box. He's very relaxed. He has a very good approach at the plate. I would say everything's quiet. Nothing moves. His head doesn't move. His body isn't out of control. He's always on balance. And what makes him special is the fact that every time he steps in the box, 
he has a plan of attack that he's going to attack a hitter. I mean, attack a pitcher and his wall power is his best tool by far. I mean, I've heard cross checkers, other scouts say maybe they give him a 65 future value. They go that high on him because they think he's that good as a hitter and his wall power is there. So when you have to be a special type of player to be taken number one overall as a first baseman, I think Turkelson kind of fits that mold of being that special player. And who did you have as your ceiling for him? For my ceiling for him, I'm thinking more, I'm still thinking about it, but I'm thinking more like Anthony Rizzo, maybe even bigger than that, just like raw power. Even Pete Alonzo with the type of power that he has, that might be a floor for him because Alonzo took a while. But for me, I'm still figuring out the the ceiling and the floor right now as as we're recording. But I'm around that range of a power guy who's, who's really raw power and then his hit tool. Is, is off the charts. And I'm looking at, at uh, how Asa Lacey dominated, uh, has dominated the SEC in the, in the past. Uh, you have him as your number, as the number two in this uh, top five that we put together for college guys and your number one pitcher. Uh, what impresses you most about him? Uh, Asa Lacey, just his competitive nature is what impresses me. He's so competitive. His work ethic, everything you hear about him, he, he grinds, he works on his pitch, design his he's into rap soto he's into track man getting his slider a perfect depth and like everything about him he's a he's a great pitcher but his competitiveness is what sets him apart and the fact that he has a four pitch mix as a college guy and advanced four pitch mix i think can turn him into a future ace of a team and quite frankly it's bold to say that he might start an all-star game but he's that level of pitcher where he can dominate the league if he gets to where his ceiling is and where his potential is. And the ceiling is what? Uh, for me, it was David Price because the, the fundamentals, the mechanics are all so similar. Coming out of Vanderbilt, Price had the fastball plus and the plus slider. And Asa Lacey's right up there with the fastball and the slider. And the mechanics look almost the exact same, same body type. And so I could see him being – potential Cy Young guy, winning a, lot, winning a lot of games, being an all-star. Like I said, maybe even to the point where he's starting an all-star game, that wouldn't shock me if that's where Ace, Ace Lacey ended up. Because I think his slider is probably the best future projectable pick in this draft. Sounds like he lives up to the name, uh, as, as uh, you were saying. Uh, all right, so uh, number three, Austin Martin uh, from Vanderbilt. So the ceiling on him, I won't spoil it, but it's a, a pretty high one. Uh, Corey, your impressions on a guy who you said can set the table very well and can drive the ball. Yeah, I think Austin Martin out of Vanderbilt is a player that does a little bit of everything. Coming out of high school as a shortstop, at Vanderbilt he spent time at uh, second, first, third, all the infield positions and center field. He player who, like you said, sets the table very nicely, has a plus bat. Um, above average pop. He's an above average runner as well, but he's also on top of being an above average runner. Really good instincts that helps him meet, even capitalize on his running ability even more, taking extra bases, just being a smart uh, baseball IQ. Performed very well in the highest stage at Vanderbilt, uh, being part of the 2019 championship run. The only questions remain about um, where he will be defensively. I think the best bet for him is the outfield, but I think uh, whoever takes him wherever they see fit, he'll be fine. He'll be above average fielder anywhere just because his defense will be able to carry him. Should be a, a clean 300 hitter with a 2020 uh, potential. So he's an ex- extremely exciting player. And the, the ceiling for him is? 
So the ceiling, I thought about long and hard. I kept going back and forth on how high he could get. I ended up going Mookie Betts, one of the best players in the game, a 5-2 guy, got to start a second baseman, and moved to the outfield and did it seamlessly. And I just think he can do all those things and um, and more. And um, I think he could reach that level. It's a high level, but I think he can reach it. Emerson Hancock, another pitcher. Uh, we just talked about Asa Lacey. Emerson Hancock sounds like he's right there with him. Uh, he's the number four, and he's out of the University of Georgia. Uh, fastball sliders seem to be his uh, top two. He's also got a good change. Uh, your your take on him? So Hancock's the guy that um, has a, a full arsenal as a four pitch mix. Primarily his fastball around mid nineties. While he's playing great control, he regularly regularly throws pitches in the zone, having strong command to locate his pitches to the uh, catcher's mitt. Uh, his best secondary offering is slider. It's a, a plus pitch, strong 83. He goes to it often in strike situations. He also has a plus changeup that has good arm side run, uh, plays nicely off his fastball. And then his curveball is just average, but it's something that he can use and get better at as he develops. And he can kind of use it as a starter to get through the order the third time and stuff like that. How did you come up with uh, Shane Bieber as his ceiling? For Bieber, he's kind of came out of nowhere as a, as a pitcher last year. He was a a middling prospect, but then he kind of splashed on the scene after watching games from him last year. His four-pitch mix is very similar to that of Hancock. If Hancock can meet all the expectations of his fastball slider and change up and then mix in with the curveball like uh, Bieber does very well. Bieber is really good at using all four pitches perfectly in situations and led him to an all-star season last year. If Hancock reaches all those levels, he can become to that level. All right. Now you both wrote, you combined to write the uh, scanning report on Nick Gonzalez uh, out of New Mexico state. Uh, very strong hit tool from what I can uh, see. Uh, you guys seem to, to think it's a very, very strong. Uh, I'll give you both a chance to weigh in on him. Uh, Brandon, start us off. Give us your take on why he can be an elite leadoff guy. Um, for me, it's again, a lot like Torkelson. He's advanced at the plate for a guy his age. And the way he steps in the box, he already has a plan when he gets inside the box. I think one of the best things I watched doing a game this year was Asa Lacey versus Nick Gonzalez in the batter's box and that battle between the two. It was it was fun to watch those guys battle each other, and, and you could tell they were kind of amped up. And Nick Gonzalez is one of those guys who can really square up the baseball, and he doesn't rush anything. Everything is – all in sync, he's balanced, and he lets the ball travel in the zone. He lets it get there late so he can wait back on breaking pitches. He can drive the fastball the other way, and his power is projectable to the point where it might be up there, but his overall hit tool and just the way he's able to drive the ball gap to gap is what makes him special. Okay, Corey, what do you, what do you think about him? Uh, Brandon, the hit tools is incredible. Um, people had questions about um, him being New Mexico State, kind of a smaller school um, compared to all the people we talked about earlier being a power five players. Um, but he led the nation hitting 432. That's pretty impressive. And then he followed up by a really good uh, Cape summer last year. He uh, Cape Cod League MVP, Premier Wood Bat League. A guy that I saw actually playing one game with Parker. Um, it's just really smooth defensively. I think he can definitely be an, an average uh, defensive second baseman. And then this the hit tool that'll get on base at a great clip, uh, any level he plays at, and I think that showed last summer. Heston Kerstad uh, and Reed Detmers were your two honorable mentions for uh, the top seven, and uh, I will let you each uh, talk about your respective guy, Corey. Uh, in looking at uh, Kerstad, uh, a, a lot of moving parts in his swing, but what do you like? 
Um, the power. I think the power is just exceptional. Left-handed uh, power hitter. A good size at six foot three with room to put on even more muscle. He's kind of skinny right now. I have his weight around um, 180, 190. I think he could get up, add some more muscle. But um, just I think he's somebody that could, uh, with home runs going up every year in the majors, a guy that can easily hit 30 a year. Um, I think everything else is just uh, what else he's going to do with them um, defensively and at the plate. I have him right now as an average defender with an average hit tool. So that's kind of where he is with big power. But if he can um, develop the hit tool, um, I think he could be a, a, a special player. We neglected to mention that on Nick Gonzalez, your uh, your ceiling guy was um, Dustin Pedroia for uh, Kerstad. All right, this is a very high ceiling, and it made me wonder whether he should have been your number one or your number two. Uh, your ceiling is Bryce Harper. Why is that? I have a ceiling as Bryce Harper because I was, for ceiling, it's kind of uh, just a what he can get to if everything goes right situation, not what he's going to do or what I expect right. him to do. I expect Gonzalez to probably be a better player than Kirstead because of the hit tool and all the tools that he brings. But I just think if Kirstead could um, refine that hit tool and keep the power where it is, but refine that hit tool to the light level where Bryce Hopper and Bryce Hopper's walk rate, I think Kirstead's a really aggressive hitter right now, and I think that needs to change with a really big leg kick, which leads him to strike out a lot. I think he needs that's a lot of work to do to get the Bryce Hopper's level, but if he – gets development with all the player development going on right now and all the uh, technology they have. If they can get him to that level where he can be more patient, that's where he can get. Yep. He's a premier left-handed college bat in this draft. You, you have Torkelson and Sabato from the right side, but Kershad's the premier left-handed bat. So I think that's why he could go a little higher because he's a premier left-handed bat power-wise. Nice. Now let's talk about a left-handed arm. Uh, Reed Detmer is out of the University of Louisville. Uh, you've got him as a guy with a big, uh, big curveball. Uh, Brandon, your take on him? Uh, I love watching Detmer's pitch. He kind of manipulates the baseball, manipulates his own. He only throws 91 or 92 from the left-handed side, which is still pretty good. But now guys at everywhere are throwing 95, and it's almost desirable to be throwing 95 in the majors. And I think Detmer's is one of those guys – we can get guys out with a 91-92 fastball because it has late life. It gets on top of hitters. It kind of jumps on hitters late. And his curveball, like you said, it's an elite hook. I mean, it's cartoonish, Bugs Bunny-like, the way it drops in the zone. And I know people can say, like, well, you can wait back on it and you can hit it. But there was a lot of guys in college who just couldn't stay back and hit his curveball evident by his strikeout rate, you know, striking out Wake Forest 14 times or Georgia Tech 15 times. He just has that ability to strike guys out with that curveball. And it's one of those things where I think he's one of the safest picks in the draft. Him and Torkelson are the safest picks in the draft. If you take Reed Detmers, I think you're getting a starter, a middle, middle of the rotation starter, but you have a chance to get someone who's even better than that because maybe he can develop stuff outside of his curveball. Obviously, he needs a changeup, and he needs a slider. He needs another pitch outside of those two pitches. But right now, with those two pitches, he could still get guys out in the majors. I would think that any lefty with a big hook is going to get compared to the guy that you gave us his ceiling. Uh, who did you pick? Yeah, I picked Barry Zito. The curveballs look similar. They, they really do. And I don't think a curveball is as good as Zito's because he doesn't hide it as well. He's not as deceptive with it. When, when you see his release point, he needs to work on it because hitters in the major league level can definitely see it come out of his hand in terms of the release point. But if he works on that and he starts tunneling it with his, with his high fastball, as I said in my report, I think he can become a Zito type of guy. And remember, Barry Zito only threw 
88, 89 miles an hour. He didn't throw that hard either. And 88, 89 back then is probably comparable to 91, 92 right now. So if Barry Zito can get guys out with a fastball and a curveball like that, what separated Barry Zito was he was able to add that third pitch. If Detmers can do that, he can get to Zito level. But if he doesn't, then maybe his ceiling is like a Rich Hill, a guy who just has a really nasty hook and ends up being really, really competitive for a team for multiple, multiple years. All right, Brandon, too. Corey Ledden, uh, one last question. Uh, same question goes to each of you. We like to have an educational component to this. Uh, you guys are video scout associates here, uh, and you clearly put a lot of time into studying the draft. What tips would you have for someone who wants to study the draft in the way that you, you do? Uh, Corey, start us off. Um, I think there's a lot of information out there from numerous uh, baseball websites, even SIS to Fangraphs to Baseball America. So there's plenty of content producers on this that you can learn from and um, just learn how to scout. There's books out there. Um, there's a lot of good uh, scouts just um, creating content everywhere. Um, watching college baseball is really important with it, too. Um, like reading articles aren't enough. You have to see how a whole game plays out, how a whole season plays out, look at the numbers watch them when they're doing really good and watch them when they're not doing so good to kind of see how they work through those situations and just kind of um, go from there, kind of create your own thing like we did here. Just try to take uh, create opportunity for yourself and take advantage of it. As Corey said, just watch the game. Watch as many videos as you can on how to scout guys, what guys, what you should be looking for. I watch a ton of Trevor Bauer videos. I watch a lot of other guys like Pitching Ninja. I watch his, all his videos guys from Fangraphs I listen to Effectively Wild all the time, MLB Pipeline, you know. There's a lot of resources, like Corey said, where you can kind of see where professional scouts have a guy and then go ahead and scout a guy the way you would professionally. And for me, YouTube is a great resource. Just go on YouTube, type in a guy's name. You'll get these iPhone shot videos, but they're pretty good for, for iPhone. iPhone 10 shoots pretty good video or whatever it is. So you'll get these videos where maybe you get a guy throwing a bullpen session on YouTube or just a highlight package and then go ahead and go watch the actual games themselves. Make sure you're watching college baseball because that's the biggest thing. Like Corey said, you can't just read an article or read what a guy's about and then try to scout him. You, you have to watch him in the demeanor of a game. And watching a guy live is obviously the most important thing. But if you can't do that, the next best thing is to watch him on video as much as possible. Great. Corey and Brandon, uh, thanks for helping us out here, talking draft with us on our draft team show. Uh, we appreciate it. Catch you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. And this wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Parker Chavers, Brandon Two, Corey Ledden, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 